Lesson number 102, Surah At-Tawbah, ayah number 1 to 15. Surah At-Tawbah is a madni surah, which means that it was revealed after the hijrah of the Prophet ﷺ. And in fact, it was revealed in the ninth year after hijrah. So you're talking about just two years before the Prophet ﷺ passed away. So it was towards the end of his life when Islam was established and the Muslims had victory over their enemy. This is the time when Surah At-Tawbah was revealed. Before Surah At-Tawbah, we learned Surah Al-Anfal. Surah Al-Anfal was revealed after which battle? The battle of Badr. The battle of Badr was fought in the second year after Hijrah. How many Muslims participated in the battle of Badr? 313. Surah At-Tawbah was revealed after the expedition to Tabuk, which was in the ninth year after Hijrah. And the expedition to Tabuk was the last battle in which the Prophet ﷺ participated himself. There were battles that were fought afterwards before. However, this was the last battle, the last expedition in which the Prophet ﷺ himself participated. And guess how many Muslims there were in the expedition to Tabuk? How many? 30,000. Imagine in the second year after Hijrah, how many Muslims? 300. The ninth year after Hijrah, how many years between 9 and 2? How many? Seven. In just seven years, look at the number of the Muslims. 30,000 people are going for battle with the Prophet ﷺ all the way to Tabuk. According to a report in Bukhari, we learn that Surah At-Tawbah was the last complete surah to be revealed. There were many verses, many sections of surahs that were revealed after Surah At-Tawbah, but Surah At-Tawbah is the last complete surah to be revealed. And Surah At-Tawbah has many different names. The most common name is At-Tawbah. And the word Tawbah appears at least 17 times in different forms in this surah. How many times? At least 17 times. Why? Because in this surah, the repentance of the believers is mentioned. How they repented and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accepted their repentance. Likewise, various groups of people are invited to repent. For instance, kuffar, the disbelievers. Likewise, the mushrikeen. Likewise, the munafiqeen, the hypocrites. Murtaddeen, those who had apostated. Likewise, mutaraddideen, those who were still doubtful about Islam. All types of people are invited to repent to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Why? Because like I mentioned, the surah was revealed towards the end of the Prophet's life. So it was a final invitation to the people. The Prophet is going to leave. Islam is established for your own good. Repent to Allah. The surah is also called Al-Fadiha, Al-Kashifa, meaning the one that exposes, the one that humiliates. How is Surah At-Tawbah such? Because in the surah, many traits of the mushrikeen are mentioned, obviously evil traits. Likewise, many evil traits of the hypocrites are mentioned. 
which are generally hidden from people and which people may think of as something good. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala exposes the reality of all of these groups. Just the hypocrites, 55 traits of the hypocrites are mentioned in the surah. And this surah is very different in its style. You will notice that the commands are very direct. Very direct. And the Muslims are being reprimanded quite a lot in this surah. As if the message is being given that now more is expected of you. Because the messenger is leaving. You better take your religion seriously now. Show your commitment to Allah, to this religion. And this is the only surah of the Qur'an, this is the only surah of the Qur'an that does not begin with the basmalah. What is the basmalah? To say, Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. So this is the only surah of the Qur'an that does not begin with Bismillah. Why? Because the Prophet ﷺ never recited the basmalah before the surah. That is a reason for us. Alright? Now what's the wisdom behind that? That is a whole discussion in and of itself. But basically, Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim, what does that show? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's mercy. Correct? But we see that in this surah, what we see is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He is very direct in His commands. Like I mentioned to you, the Muslims are reprimanded. And in that, although that is also part of mercy, but we see that the seriousness is very visible. Now, there's a whole background to the surah. And it is necessary that we understand that background before we study the surah. And this is the reason why I asked you to review the seerah of the Prophet ﷺ in this whole week. Alright? So what I want you to do right now is ask the person sitting next to you, whom you just greeted, the major events that happened after the Prophet ﷺ migrated to Medina. What were the major events? I'm not asking you about the dates. Just name the major events. Which battles, which treaties, which expeditions. Alright? Can you do that? Quiz the person sitting next to you right now. Okay. So now that you've reviewed it, the Prophet ﷺ migrated to Medina after how many years since he became a prophet? Five years? 10 years or 13 years? 13 years. Why did he have to do hijrah? Why couldn't he just stay in Mecca? Why couldn't the Muslims just stay in Mecca? Why did they have to leave Mecca and go to Medina? Because Mecca was no longer safe for the Muslims. Their lives were in danger. And in fact, the mushrikeen had also made an entire plan to execute the Prophet ﷺ collectively. So we see that the reason behind the hijrah was the persecution of the mushrikeen. Now, when the Prophet ﷺ migrated to Medina, what happened in the first year after Hijrah? There was no major battle, but there were many small skirmishes all right, between the Muslims and the Mushrikeen. What happened in the second year after Hijrah? The battle of Badr. And we see that the Mushrikeen, they rallied an army of a thousand men to defend their caravan. The caravan went home safe, but still Abu Jahl insisted that they go to Badr, they drink their wine, they listen to the music, and they also fight against the Muslims. He insisted. So basically we see that the mushrikeen are the ones who initiated the battle against the Muslims. What happened in the third year after Hijrah? The battle of Uhud. 
the next year after Badr happened, Uhud, in the third year after Hijrah. What happened in the fourth year after Hijrah? With the victory of the Mushrikeen, the enemies overall became very encouraged and as a result, there were many attacks on the Muslims. We learn about many, many Muslim lives that were lost in this year. Like for instance, 70 men who were those people who knew the Qur'an, who had learned the Qur'an. They were taken as teachers. And what happened? Deceived and every single one of them was killed. Likewise, the mushrikeen attacked the Muslims and took some of the Muslims as prisoners into Mecca and publicly executed one of them. So in the fourth year after Hijrah, we see that the mushrikeen again harmed the Muslims a lot. Fifth year after Hijrah, what happened? The fifth year after Hijrah. So we're going year by year. What happened in the fifth year after Hijrah? The battle of the trench. Where the mushrikeen, basically in collaboration with the Jews of Medina, and in collaboration with other tribes of Arabia, they gather together and they all advance towards Medina, and they laid siege outside the city of the Prophet ﷺ. And basically there was a trench that the Muslims had dug at the advice of Salman al-Farisi. And this is what, alhamdulillah, led the Muslims to their victory. There was a siege for about 30 days or so. And then eventually the mushrikeen, they left. But still we see that the Muslims suffered a lot. There were times when the Prophet ﷺ and his companions were constantly guarding the trench. Constantly. We learned that Umar who came to the Prophet ﷺ one evening and he said that may Allah curse these mushrikeen because of them I didn't get a chance to pray my asr because I was constantly watching. I didn't get a chance for even five minutes to perform my asr prayers. So what happened? The Prophet ﷺ said, by Allah even I have not prayed my asr yet. Imagine they didn't have a break for few minutes. So what happened? Few Muslims who also did not get a chance together, they went with the Prophet ﷺ to a particular area in Medina where they were safe. And then there they performed Salatul Asr and Salatul Maghrib after the sun had set. We learned that people went to the Prophet ﷺ complaining of hunger. And what happened? This man, he lifted up his shirt to show that he had tied a rock to his stomach in order to press his stomach so that he wouldn't feel the hunger pangs. And the Prophet ﷺ had how many rocks tied to his stomach? because he was more hungry. So the Muslims suffered a lot in the battle of trench also at the hands of the mushrikeen. What happened after this battle of the trench? In the sixth year after hijrah, what happened? The Prophet ﷺ had a dream that him and the Muslims, they were performing umrah. So the Prophet ﷺ told the Muslims, get ready, we're going to go to Mecca, we're going to perform the umrah. So a whole lot of them went together, but were they allowed to enter Mecca? No, they were not allowed to enter Mecca. Instead, what happened? The mushrikeen, they entered into a treaty with the Muslims, a treaty of peace, which is known as the Treaty of Hudaybiyah. Why is it called the Treaty of Hudaybiyah? Because it was made at the place of Hudaybiyah, because that is where the Muslims had camped. Now, this treaty, what did it stipulate? What were the things that the Muslims and the mushrikeen agreed upon? First of all, yes, there would be no war between the Muslims of Medina and the Mushrikeen of Mecca for how many years? Ten years. So for ten years there is going to be peace. No wars, no battles. Likewise, 
of the stipulations was that the Muslims can have alliances with any tribe they want and the mushrikeen can also have alliances with any tribe that they want. So basically, now the mushrikeen recognize the Muslims as, as not just strong, but they acknowledge their existence as a state, as a people, as a nation. Because before, what was the way in Arabia? Your tribe is everything. You belong to your tribe, alright? If your tribe goes to war, you go to war. If your tribe's at home, you stay home, alright? Your tribe is everything. And the Muslims were one tribe? Were they connected by blood? No. They came from different places, alright? From different tribes, different areas, different families. So the mushrikeen finally recognized the Muslims as a force, as an entity as a people. And this is the reason why they made this pact with them, that anyone can enter into alliance with you, and anyone can enter with alliance with us. So basically, if there is a tribe, and they form alliances with the Muslims, all right, that means that the Muslims and that tribe are also at peace. There will be no war. Rather, they are going to be friends of one another. They're going to support each other. Likewise, the mushrikeen, if they make alliances with a particular tribe, then what does it mean? They're at peace, they're friends, they will go to war together, they will be together everywhere basically. Okay? So what happened that the Muslims, after the treaty of Hudaybiyah, they entered into alliance with the tribe of Khuza'a. And the mushrikeen, they made alliances with the tribe of Banu Bakr. So the Muslims with who? Khuza'a and the mushrikeen with who? Banu Bakr. Now this meant that the Banu Bakr and Khuza'a could also not battle each other. Why? Because they are friends with who? Muslims Mushrikeen. Okay? So they are also not to fight with each other. Alright? And if, if, let's say the Banu Bakr and the Khuza'a do go to battle, then the Muslims are not to support them nor are the mushrikeen to support them. In fact, what do they have to do? Stop it. Alright? Because this is what the Treaty of Hudaybiyah demanded from them. Okay, so what happened? In the sixth year, this treaty was made. Two years after the Treaty of Hudaybiyah, what happened? We learned that the Banu Bakr, which were the allies of the mushrikeen, they attacked Khuza'a. Who were Khuza'a? The allies of the Muslims. Should they have done that? This was a violation of the treaty. Moreover, a greater violation was that the Khuzar tribe, their people, those who managed to escape, they ran to the haram. Because if someone goes into the haram, then you cannot kill them. This is something that even the mushrikeen respected. Even they observed this. And so strongly they observed this, that it is said that if a person saw the murderer of his father in the haram, he would not raise his weapon against him. This is how strict this was. But what happened, that the Khuza'a, as they went into the haram in order to seek refuge there, the Banu Bakr chased them over there. The men of Khuza'a clung to the walls of the Kaaba, But Banu Bakr didn't spare their lives. And you know what was worse? The Quraysh, they supported this. They supported this. What should they have done? Stop this fight. Instead of stopping it, they supported it. Now the Khuza'a, 
The people who did manage to survive, they went to the Prophet ﷺ, their allies, and said, look, this is what happened to us, please do something about it. Demand the blood money from the mushrikeen. We want revenge. So the Prophet ﷺ, when he found out about this, he sent word to the people of Makkah that you have three options. Either you give the blood money, okay, or you do the qisas, or basically he gave multiple options. Or basically he said that if you don't comply, then what's going to happen? The treaty of Hudaybiyah is finished. It is annulled. The mushrikeen, what happened when they received the message of the Prophet ﷺ, they just laughed it off. They mocked at the Muslims and they laughed it off. Now this meant that the treaty of Hudaybiyah had been violated by the mushrikeen. The Prophet ﷺ sent a warning the mushrikeen didn't take heed. Instead, they were mocking. So now the Prophet ﷺ secretly planned to go and attack Makkah and take over, conquer Makkah peacefully. Why is it that he did this secretly? Because he didn't want to cause more bloodshed in the most holiest land. He didn't want to cause more bloodshed. But remember in Surah Al-Anfal we learned that if you are breaking a treaty then you should let the other one know. Now, was the Prophet ﷺ going against that? No, he wasn't going against that. Firstly, the mushrikeen violated the treaty. Secondly, the Prophet ﷺ sent word. And then, what happened? The mushrikeen didn't take that seriously either. They mocked. So now, obviously, something had to be done. Because the mushrikeen weren't giving any importance to the treaty. So this is why the Prophet ﷺ advanced towards Makkah and he conquered Makkah. So in Ramadan, eighth year after Hijrah, what happened? Makkah was conquered. Second year after Hijrah was the first battle. Six years later we see that the Prophet ﷺ conquered Makkah. Which man has ever, ever done that in history? Tell me. Where has this ever happened? Nowhere. That a person who left in order to save his life, he was in danger. And after eight years, he's returning as a victor. As a victor. Now, with the conquest of Makkah, what happened? Shirk. Okay? Shirk was not dominant anymore. In the sense that the Prophet ﷺ gained victory not just over Makkah, but over entire Arabia. What was common before? Shirk. Now, who was in power? What was in power? Tawheed. Okay? The belief in the oneness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this conquest also gave a lot of freedom to the Muslims. So basically the Muslims could come and go for Hajj and Umrah easily. Before could they do that? No, it wasn't easy for them. Now the Muslims had security in the land. They could go to Makkah. They could perform Hajj and Umrah easily. But we see that the Prophet ﷺ did not perform Hajj in the eighth year after Hijrah. Why? Why didn't he do Hajj in the eighth year after Hijrah? Because right after the conquest of Makkah, where did he go? Where did he go? To Hunayn, to Ta'if. You guys didn't review, did you? Because some of you are like, huh, what is she saying? Because all of these words seem strange to you. If you had reviewed, it wouldn't have been that strange. So anyway, the Prophet ﷺ, right after the victory of Makkah, he headed towards Hunayn, towards Ta'if. And by the time he went back to Medina, the Hajj season was basically about over. 
It was too late to go for Hajj. So then what happened? The ninth year after Hijrah, which is the next year, again the Prophet ﷺ did not go for Hajj. Why? Because he had gone to Tabuk. And by the time he returned from Tabuk, it was too late to go for Hajj. Alright? However, in the ninth year after Hijrah, the Prophet ﷺ sent a group of Muslims for Hajj from Medina. And he appointed Abu Bakr anhu as their leader. He was made the Amir Hajj. And he basically led a group of people for Hajj to Mecca. Now what happened? When he left, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed Surah At-Tawbah. The first few verses of Surah At-Tawbah. It is said that at that time, the first 40 verses of the Surah were revealed. And the Prophet ﷺ sent Ali radiallahu anhu to Abu Bakr. That go, join him, learn these ayat, and you have certain announcements that you have to make at Hajj. Because the mushrikeen must know about these matters. These are announcements that have to be made. So the Prophet ﷺ sent Ali radiallahu anhu who joined Abu Bakr and at Hajj in Mina, Ali radiallahu anhu made certain announcements which we learn about in the surah. What were those announcements? Inshallah as we learn the ayat of the surah, we will learn about them. But mainly, the main message was, you can conclude all of them, as that... Now Arabia was going to be purified from shirk and the people of shirk. So basically, in Mecca, in Arabia, there was going to be no tolerance for any kind of shirk and no tolerance for any mushrik. No mushrik will now be at peace with the Muslims, no treaty. And likewise, shirk is not going to be allowed to exist in Arabia anymore. You might say, why? This is like an ethnic cleansing. No, it wasn't like that. If you think about it, Mecca, who built it thousands of years ago? Ibrahim alayhi salam. Why? So that people fill the Kaaba with idols? Yeah? So that people come to the Kaaba, perform their hajj, and offer sacrifice to idols? Is this the reason why Ibrahim alayhi salam built the Kaaba? Is this the reason why he left his wife and son in Mecca? What was the reason? To establish a center of Tawheed, where people can come from all over the world and worship who? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone at Hajj. And wherever people are on this earth, when they pray, they face the Kaaba. So Mecca, Kaaba is like the center of Tawheed. This is why Mecca was Populated. This is why the Kaaba was constructed. But we see that after many years, shirk became common in Mecca and Tawheed disappeared. This is why the Prophet ﷺ was sent the last messenger to re-establish, to reinstate the Tawheed in the land of Tawheed. So this is the reason why now shirk was going to be eradicated from Arabia and the people of shirk also were not going to be allowed to live anymore in Arabia. Why? Why not the people of shirk? We understand the problem with shirk. But why not the people of shirk? What if they want to be idolatrous and you know, just in their personal lives, they want to worship idols in their homes? Fine, they won't keep idols in the Kaaba. What if they want to keep it in their house? Why not allow that? Why not allow that? Because if shirk and tawheed are allowed to coexist in one place, then what will happen? Eventually, one will take over the other. Correct? 
Like for example, if your heart is filled with the love of two people, then what happens? You're constantly in a dilemma. This or that, this or that. Let me give you a more easier example. If there's two desserts before you, and you love both of them, but they're completely different. One is like an Indian dessert, and the other is like some Western French dessert. Okay? Now, the, both of them taste completely different. Aren't you in confusion? What do I have and what do I leave? Eventually, one will overcome the other. So this is the reason why shirk was not allowed to remain in Arabia. And even the people of shirk. Also remember, the problem with the people of shirk, the mushrikeen, was that we see that in Mecca, when the mushrikeen were in power, did they allow Muslims to live? Did they allow the Muslims to pray, to worship, to perform tawaf, to do hajj, to do umrah? No, they didn't. We know how much the Muslims suffered. Thirteen years the Muslims were persecuted. So many lives were lost. We see that the Prophet ﷺ made a peace treaty with the mushrikeen also. Did they respect that? Did they have any respect for that? No, they violated that also. So if someone has proven that they cannot even be true to their promise, then are they not criminals? Are they not criminals? Yes, they are. Should they be allowed to live like other people? No. They should not be. Like for example, if there's a person who's committed you know, many murders, and then he's punished, and let's say he's freed again, and again he goes and commits the same crimes, will the judge be deceived by him and say that, oh, it's okay, never mind, let him go. If you let him go, what is he going to do? He's going to kill more people. This is why such people, what do they deserve? That either they are executed, or what happens? They're kept in prison for 150 years. Okay? before which they will die. Isn't that so? Or when they are extremely old, then they are let go. Correct? Because then they can't do much anyways. Right? So likewise, the mushrikeen had proven themselves as a dishonest people, as a people who could not keep true to their promises, as a people who were criminals, at whose hands no one was safe. And this is the reason why they were not going to be allowed to continue to live in Arabia anymore. A long time had passed. Think about it. 13 years of Makkah and many years of Medina. Over a decade had passed, but still these people had not changed in their behavior. So this is the reason why. Now what was going to happen? Shirk eliminated and the mushrikeen also eliminated from Makkah. And this is the message that the Prophet ﷺ sent with Ali anhu to announce at Hajj. Why at Hajj? Why at Hajj? Because at Hajj, remember, that people from all over Arabia would come. All over Arabia. If something was made public at Hajj, it would reach everywhere. You understand? If something was made public at Hajj, it would reach all over Arabia. So this is the reason why this message was sent at the time of Hajj. Likewise, we see another reason why the people of Shirk were going to be eliminated is because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has sent His religion in order to be established. In order to be established. Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa was the seal of the prophets. No human being after Muhammad ﷺ is ever going to receive revelation from Allah. No new scripture is coming. No prophet or messenger is coming. 
So the last messenger, his religion, the sharia that he brought, had to be established. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us, هُوَ الَّذِي أَرْسَلَ رَسُولَهُ بِالْهُدَى وَدِينِ الْحَقِّ لِيُظْهِرَهُ عَلَى الدِّينِ كُلِّهِ Allah has sent His Messenger with the guidance. Why? So that the religion is established. The religion came to be established, not to be defeated. So this was part of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's plan. And if the mushrikeen were allowed to remain in Arabia, would they let Islam be established? Would they? No. They could not tolerate a few Muslims coming for Umrah. You think they could tolerate Islam? They would not. So this is the reason why this was done. Now, this was ninth year after Hijrah. What happened in the tenth year after Hijrah? What happened the next year? The Prophet ﷺ performed the Hajj, which is known as Hajjatul Wada', which is the farewell pilgrimage. And then what happened the next year? The eleventh year after Hijrah, the Prophet ﷺ passed away. So we see that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala took His Messenger when? When Islam was established, when the mission of the Messenger was fulfilled, it was completed. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had given him victory, absolute victory over his enemies, then it is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala took his messenger away. And this just shows to us the beauty of the Prophet sallallahu life. What a successful life he lived. What an amazing life he lived. Forty years as the best person in the community as someone who would help the poor and the needy, someone who was very active in the community, someone who was known to be honest and trustworthy, someone who possessed great qualities. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blessed him with prophethood, years of persecution. And then we see the other phase of the life of the Prophet ﷺ when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave him victory. And such victory that was established at the end. And we see the year before he left this world, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gifted him with Hajj, Hajjat al-Wada'. And this is why we see that when the Prophet ﷺ passed away, Abu Bakr came, and when he saw the Prophet ﷺ laying there, he kissed his forehead and he said, طِبْتَ hayyan wa mayyita. You are beautiful, you are amazing, you are excellent when you were alive and when you've passed away. You lived a beautiful life and you've died a beautiful death. Because there are many people who start something, but they're not able to complete it before they die. Isn't it? They don't see the fruits of their efforts in their life. But we see that the Prophet ﷺ, he lived an amazing life, an amazing death. He had an amazing death. When he was fully victorious, successful in every way, that is when he left this world. So anyway, with this context in mind, with this entire background in mind, it is necessary that we study these verses. Because if we don't have this in mind, then it's very, very easy to misunderstand these ayat. And this is a problem with many people. There are verses from this surah which are quoted completely out of context. And they're used against the Prophet ﷺ, against the Muslims, against Islam. So it is one of the most important surahs. You can say it's like a conclusion to the religion. And we also see that it is a very 
critical surah that we must understand because it was revealed towards the end of the Prophet ﷺ's life, which means that the commands in the surah are abrogated? No, they're not abrogated. So let's begin. أَعُوذُ بِاللَّهِ مِنَ الشَّيْطَانِ الرَّجِيمِ بَرَاءَةٌ A declaration of disassociation. مِنَ اللَّهِ from Allah. وَرَسُولِهِ and his messenger. إِلَى الَّذِينَ To all those people who عَاهَدْتُمْ You made a covenant. You made a treaty. مِنَ الْمُشْرِكِينَ From among the polytheists. بَرَاءَةٌ From the root letters بَرَاءَ Hamza. Bara'a means to become innocent, to have nothing to do with someone or something. So for example, if a person is proven innocent of a crime, then this word is used. That there's no connection between them and the crime. They are innocent. They did not commit it. Likewise, when a person becomes healthy after sickness, this word is also used. Why? Because now there's no more connection between him and that illness. He is now free of that illness. He is now free of that accusation. Now he is innocent. So the word bara'a, what does it mean essentially? Disassociation. Disconnect. Freedom from obligation. So bara'atun means, this is a declaration of disassociation. Who is making this declaration? Disassociation from what? Min Allah, from Allah, wa rasulihi and his messenger. Meaning Allah and his messenger disassociate themselves from who? From all those people, ila ladina ahattum, whom you had made contracts with, pacts with, promises with, treaties with, which treaties, which promises, which contracts of peace that there will be no war between them and the Muslims. And who are these people? They were min al-mushrikeen, from those who do shirk. So in other words, this is a declaration of disassociation with who? With the mushrikeen. Meaning, any treaty that they had made previously with the Messenger of Allah is now annulled, is now cancelled. Remember, that after the Treaty of Hudaybiyah, there were many mushrik tribes that were in alliance with the Muslims. Meaning, there was this understanding that we will not battle each other. Alright? And as a result, those mushrik people were safe from the Muslims. In other words, the Muslims would not fight them. Their lives were spared. Okay? But this ayah, what did it say? All these pacts, all these covenants are now finished. They are now annulled. All these treaties are now cancelled. Why? Because the mushrikeen so far, what reputation have they developed? What? That they have a habit of making the treaties and breaking them. Making promises and going against them. So hereby, Allah and His Messenger declare that that's it. No more treaties are in effect. All the treaties are now finished, cancelled. Fasihu. So all of you travel. And by the way, this declaration basically meant what? That now, Allah and His Messenger are at war with who? With who? With the mushrikeen. That the mushrikeen are now the enemies of who? 
of the Muslims. Before, there were pacts, treaties, that despite enmity, they had agreed not to fight. But now what does it mean? No more treaty. Nothing is protecting you from Allah and His Messenger. Now your life is not safe. You are not safe anymore. But it doesn't mean that from tomorrow you're in danger. They're given a grace period. How much? Fasihu, so travel. From the root letter, seen, ya, ha. Siyaha, which means to travel. So all of you travel, meaning go about freely. Fil ardi in the land. Which land is this? Obviously it's referring to the land of Arabia, the land of Hijaz. Meaning the mushrikeen have that freedom to go about in the land for how long? Arba'ata for ashurin months. Plural of shahr. The treaties are annulled. However, you have time for four months. So freely travel about the Arabian Peninsula without any danger. Wa'lamu and know that annakum, indeed you, غَيْرُ not other than mu'jizi, ones to incapacitate, ones to cause failure, Allah, Allah. Meaning you cannot at all cause failure to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. وَأَنَّ اللَّهَ And also know that Allah مُخْزِلْ kafirin Is one to humiliate those who disbelieve. مُخْزِي from خَا زَي يَا خِزْيُنْ Humiliation. So the mushrikeen are told you have time for four months in which you can decide what you want to do. If you want to embrace Islam, go ahead. If you want to become friends with the Prophet ﷺ, go ahead. But if you wish to remain on your shirk, then you cannot remain here anymore. If you wish to live, then you have to leave the Arabian Peninsula. Go anywhere in the world, but you can't be over here. Because like we discussed earlier, no tolerance for shirk and no tolerance for ahlu shirk in the Hijaz anymore. But they're told you have time for how long? Four months. And remember that if you spend these four months plotting and planning of how to overthrow the Prophet ﷺ and the Muslims, then realize that you cannot do that. You cannot cause failure to Allah's plan. Allah has a certain plan. He's going to establish Tawheed here. And if you spend this time plotting and planning how to overthrow the Prophet ﷺ, you're not going to get anywhere. And realize that Allah is going to humiliate the disbelievers. So what should you focus on in these four months? Think about what you're going to do. If you want to embrace Islam... It's about time you consider that, research into it, learn about it. And if you don't want to do that, then make some alternate arrangements. Are you going to go elsewhere? Where are you going to go? Make your plan. But do not bother to plot against Allah and His Messenger. وَأَذَانٌ And an announcement from Hamza ذَال Noon. Meaning this is an announcement. From who? مِنَ Allah, From Allah. وَرَسُولِهِ And His Messenger. This is an announcement Coming from who? Allah and His Messenger. For who? To who? An announcement to be made to who? Ilan nas to all the people. When is this announcement going to be made? Yawm, on the day. Which day? Al-Hajj of the Hajj. Which Hajj? Al-Akbar, the greater. Remember that there is Hajj al-Akbar and Hajj al-Asghar. The greater pilgrimage and the minor pilgrimage. What is the minor pilgrimage? Umrah. Okay? Umrah is the minor pilgrimage. And what is the greater pilgrimage? Hajj. So the announcement is going to be made on the day 
of the greater Hajj. Meaning, during the Hajj season. And which day is this in particular? This is the day of Nahr, of slaughter, which is in Mina, when the Hujjaj are all gathered in Mina. And remember that when the Hujjaj are all gathered in Mina, then that is the largest assembly anywhere. Largest. Okay? Because what happens is that the rest of the days, the people are either going from here to there, okay, from Arafah to Muzdalifah, half the people are on their way, half the people are still at the previous location, half the people have just gotten to the next location. So the thing is that the Hujjaj are scattered. But on Yawmun Nahr, on the day of sacrifice, all the Hujjaj are assembled where? Where? At Mina. Who's gone for Hajj? Okay. Who's seen pictures of Hajj? Okay, everybody has. Have you seen pictures of Hajj where they show white tents? Hmm? So where is that? Mina. And how many people are there? There are people everywhere. At Mina, there are people everywhere, literally, on the streets, on the pathways. Like there is no corner where you won't find a person. Even in the tunnels and the roads. I mean, you can barely see the ground. You can barely tell. Is it carpeted? Is it grass? Is it mud? Is it concrete? What is it? Because there are people all over the place. All over the place. Alright? So this announcement is to be made for all people on Yawmul Hajjil Akbar. And what is the announcement that is going to be made? Allah, That indeed Allah, Bari'un. He is disassociated. Min al-mushrikeen, from the mushrikeen, wa rasuluhu, and also his messenger. That now, Allah and his messenger have nothing to do with the mushrikeen. In the sense that, mushrikeen are now, are no longer safe near Allah and his messenger. They are no longer those who are granted security of life anymore. Now, Allah and his messenger are at war with who? With the mushrikeen. فَإِن تُبْتُمْ So if you repent, who? The mushrikeen. If you repent, from what? From your hostility to Allah and His Messenger, your hostility to Islam, your hostility to the word of Allah, your hostility to Tawheed, if you repent from all of that, فَهُوَ خَيْرٌ لَكُمْ Then that is better for you. Because remember that when a person does tawbah, when a person repents, even from the greatest sin, what is the greatest sin? Shirk. Then what happens? All his sins are eradicated. The one who repents from a sin is like the one who never committed a sin. Because it is erased. That sin is erased from him. Provided that his tawbah was sincere and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accepted his repentance. And this is why we see that there were people who were extremely hostile to the Muslims. Think about Ikrima radiallahu anhu, the son of Abu Jahl. Hmm? Think about Abu Sufyan radiallahu anhu. Think about Khalid ibn Walid radiallahu anhu. These are people whom we learn about in the seerah that they harmed the Muslims, they killed the Muslims. And then what happened? These are the people who did tawbah. And what happened? Because of their tawbah, they have now become of those who are honored with this description. Radiallahu anhu. Allah is pleased with them. Can you imagine? Can you imagine people 
coming against the Messenger of Allah with their swords, you know, looking for that chance where they can kill the Prophet ﷺ, and this person does tawbah, and Allah forgives him? Can you imagine? Umar anhu, he left his house in order to assassinate the Prophet ﷺ. And what happened? He did tawbah. Right? In fact, all of the companions, all of the companions, if you consider them, majority of them were what? Before they were hostile. In some way or the other. Or they didn't pay much attention to the Prophet ﷺ, to Islam. Not much attention at all. But then eventually, they did tawbah. So, فَهُوَ خَيْرٌ لَكُمْ It is better for you. وَإِن تَوَلَّيْتُمْ And if you turn away, and you say, no way, we're not doing any tawbah, and we're gonna go fight with the Messenger of Allah, so what if he conquered Makkah? So what if he's given us his grace period of four months? We're going to get together, and we're going to overthrow the Messenger of Allah? Allah says, if you turn away, فَعْلَمُوا Then again, no. That أَنَّكُمْ That indeed you, غَيْرُ مُعْجِزِ اللَّهِ You cannot cause failure to Allah. You cannot cause failure to Allah's plan. وَبَشِّرِ الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا And give good news to those who disbelieve. بِعَذَابٍ أَلِيمٍ With a painful punishment. That in this world, you might survive for some time. You might remain arrogant on your wrong ways. And you might persist. You might not do tawbah. And you might even get something in this world of victory. But remember that in the hereafter, what awaits you for all of this? عَذَابٍ That is alim, Painful. إِلَّا Except. Now an exception is being made. An exception from what? From the annulment of the treaties. In the first ayah, in the third ayah, what do we learn? All the treaties are annulled. All the treaties are cancelled. Okay? In the first ayah in particular, which treaties are cancelled? With the mushrikeen. Alright? But which mushrikeen are those in particular? Those who were Hostile, those who had shown their dishonesty, those who were treacherous in the past. In the third ayah, disassociation is made from who? Declaration of disassociation from who? In general, all the mushrikeen. Whether you have a treaty with them or you don't have a treaty with them. So you understand, the first group of mushrikeen is who? Those whom you are in treaty with, but they've been breaking the treaties in the past. In the third ayah, the second group is mentioned. The second group of mushrikeen, who are they? All of them in general. Whether you've made a treaty with them or you haven't made a treaty with them. A layman or you know a leader, whoever he may be. Someone from Makkah or someone from the desert, a Bedouin. Whoever, if he remains on shirk, on idolatry, then he's not safe from Allah and His Messenger anymore. In the fourth ayah, a third group of mushrikeen is being mentioned. And who is that? إِلَّا الَّذِينَ عَاهَدْتُمْ مِنَ الْمُشْرِكِينَ Those whom you had made a contract with, and obviously these are who? From among the mushrikeen. But, ثُمَّ then لَمْ not يَنْقُصُوكُمْ They reduce you. شَيْئًا anything. يَنْقُصُوكُمْ From the root letters? نُون قَاب صَاد نَقْص What does نَقْص mean? A deficiency. Alright? A deficiency. And basically it means... To not fulfill your obligation. To fall short in your duty to the other. You made a promise with someone that you'll do something, but you fall short. So what does that mean? That you don't fulfill what you promised to do. You promised that you would 
give something by a certain day, but you don't give it. That is what? Naqs. You understand? You promised that you would be at peace. You would not fight. You would not have any hostile engagements. But what happens? You show hostility through an event here, an incident here, an incident there. This is all what? Naqs. Allah says that those whom you made a pact with, but they did not reduce you shay'an anything at all. Meaning they kept true to their promises. They fulfilled the terms of the treaty that they made with you. Now you see the mushrikeen of Makkah, they made the treaty of Hudaybiyah. Did they fulfill it? Were they true to it? Were they true to it? No, they weren't. What did they do? They violated it, right? But there were some other tribes who had made alliances with the Muslims and they had not violated the treaty at all. You understand? Because you come across different kinds of people. Some people, they are very honest. And others, they are not. Some people, they do what you ask them to do and others, they don't. They will say yes, yes, of course. They will sign the contract. But what will they do? Go against what they said. Alright? So now an exception is being made that those whom you made treaties with, but they never violated the terms in any shape or form. Walam and not yuzahiru, they assist alaykum against you ahadan anyone. Yuzahiru from the root letters zahara. Zahar basically means back. Alright? And mulahara is to assist someone, to help someone. Alright? Like for example, somebody is struggling to do something, so you hold them from their back so that they have balance, they don't fall, for instance. So you're assisting them, you're cooperating with them. So Allah says that first of all, they were true to their promises, their treaties, they didn't violate them in any way. And secondly, they also never supported your enemy against you. They never supported your enemy against you. In other words, they've been very honest with their commitments. So what about their treaties? Should they be annulled also? Allah says no. فَأَتِمُّوا So complete. إِلَيْهِمْ to them. عَهْدَهُمْ Their covenant. إِلَى to مُدَّتِهِمْ Their term. Meaning, complete the treaty with them. Adhere to the treaty until the expiry date. Even if that expiry date is after four months. You understand? So for example, the mushrikeen who were hostile, the treaties made with them, what happened? All of them canceled. How much time did they have? Four months. Other mushrikeen in general who didn't have any treaty, what about them? They also had four months. But those mushrikeen who were honest, who were committed to their treaties, they never assisted your enemy against you, they have a pact with you, and that pact, let's say, is for three years. Is that going to be annulled also? No, it's not going to be annulled. Allah says, respect that, keep that until the term of its expiry. Inna Allah yuhibbul muttaqeen. Indeed, Allah loves those who have taqwa. So basically, He's encouraging the Muslims over here that keep these treaties in effect, do not annul them, rather maintain them. Now in summary, in these four ayat, what have we learned? What have we learned about the three groups of the mushrikeen and how they were going to be dealt with? Can you tell the person sitting next to you what those three groups are? If you are confused or the person sitting next to you is confused, mixing up, raise your hand. 
Everybody is clear? Okay. Now, we learned that when Abu Bakr anhu, when the Prophet sent him in the ninth year of Hijrah for Hajj. And by the way, Hajj was when? In the middle of the year or the beginning of the year? When was it? At the end of the year. Because Hajj is in which month? Dhul Hijjah. And Dhul Hijjah is which month of the year? The last month. Okay? So anyway, when the Prophet ﷺ sent Abu Bakr anhu, we learned that the surah was revealed. So the Prophet ﷺ sent Ali anhu. Why did he send Ali? Because Ali anhu was his son-in-law and also his cousin. And the mushrikeen would accept these announcements coming from Ali anhu. And not anybody else. So this is why the Prophet ﷺ chose Ali, sent him. And obviously Abu Bakr anhu did not know because he had already left. Alright? And we learned that the Prophet ﷺ said, أُخْرُجْ بِهَذِهِ الْقِصَّةِ This is in Bukhari. That take this section from the beginning of Surah Bara'a, Surah Tawbah, مِن صَدْرِ بَرَاءَ وَأَذِّنْ فِي النَّاسِ And make the announcement to the people when يَوْمَ النَّحْرِ On the day of Nahr. On the day of sacrifice, which is done where? In Mina. إِذَا اجْتَمَعُوا بِمِنَا When they have gathered in Mina. What announcement should you make? First of all, recite these ayats. Alright? And secondly, make it more clear to the people by making certain announcements. And what were those announcements? First of all, أَنَّهُ لَا يَدْخُلُ الْجَنَّةَ كَافِرٌ Tell the people that no disbeliever is going to enter Jannah. What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Why are you still on your kufr? When you see the truth of Islam, when you see the truth of the Messenger, Islam is established. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave it victory. You see the clarity of Tawheed. Why are you still upon kufr? Realize that no person who does kufr is going to enter Jannah. And he said the next thing, وَلَا يَحُجُّ بَعْدَ الْعَامِ مُشْرِكْ After this year, no mushrik is going to perform hajj. So in other words, next year at Hajj time, no mushrik is going to be allowed to come to Makkah. Not allowed. No mushrik is going to come here. Thirdly, وَلَا يَطُوفُ بِالْبَيْتِ عُرْيَانِ From now onwards, no person is going to perform the tawaf of the Kaaba naked. Because remember the mushrikeen, this was how they used to perform the tawaf. And they thought it was extreme piety. First of all, in Hajj, they used to say words of shirk. The talbiyah, they would mention the names of idols. Alright? And secondly, when they would perform the Hajj, when they would perform the tawaf in particular, they would do so while naked. So, it was now a law that that's it, no person can perform the tawaf naked anymore. Then fourthly, وَمَنْ كَانَ لَهُ عِنْدَ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ عَهْدٌ فَهُوَ لَهُ إِلَى مُدَّتِهِ Whoever has a covenant with the Messenger of Allah, and obviously this person has never violated it, this tribe, this group of people, then it will be maintained until its expiry date. Alright? From other narrations, we learned that Ali anhu was asked about what announcements he made in Mina on Yawm al-Nahl. And he said that the announcements he made were, no mushrik can do hajj after this year, no person can come to Baytullah naked anymore, all the treaties are annulled, so you must either leave Arabia or embrace Islam. And why was that? Because of that whole discussion that we did earlier. Okay? Because Islam was going to be established. No tolerance for shirk and mushrikeen anymore. And if there is a peace treaty that has not been violated, then your grace period remains in effect until the time of its expiry. 
and the mushrikeen have how much time? Four months. So he made all of these matters clear to the mushrikeen. The announcement was made. From other narrations, we learned that Abu Bakr who sent other people throughout Mina. Because imagine there's thousands of people. How many people can Ali himself announce to? So the Abu Bakr sent several people across Mina to make this announcement very clear. Next year, no mushrik is coming. No person is going to do tawaf naked anymore. You have four months. All treaties are finished. Unless it's a treaty which you have respected, so that will be respected by the Muslims also. Let's listen to the recitation. A'udhu billahi minash shaytanir rajim minallahi wa rasoolihi الذين عاهدتم من المشركين فسيحوا في الأرض أربعة أشهر واعلموا واعلموا أنكم غير معجز الله وأن الله مخزي الكافرين وأذان الله ورسوله إلى الناس يوم الحج الأكبر أن الله بريء من المشركين ورسوله فإن تبتم فهو خير لكم وَإِن تَوَلَّيْتُمْ فَاعْلَمُوا أَنَّكُمْ غَيْرُ مُعْجِزِ اللَّهِ وَبَشِّرِ الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا بِعَذَابٍ أَلِيمٍ إِلَّا الَّذِينَ عَاهَدتُّمْ المشركين ثم لم ينقصوكم شيئا ولم يظاهروا عليكم أحدا فأتموا إليهم عهدهم إلى مدتهم إن الله يحب المتقين